So we continue in our series in the Psalms, and uh, we're at uh, Psalm 6 today. This is another Psalm of, of David, that one of David's prayers, reading from the NIV. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am faint. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in anguish. How long, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. No one remembers you when he is dead. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil. For the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and dismayed. They will turn back in sudden disgrace. There are times in life when it feels like God is testing us beyond our ability to cope. And Psalm 6 raises the question for us, how do we as Christians keep on praying when, we've, when we feel like we're being tested beyond our ability to cope? Well, David had reached this point in Psalm 6. It seemed that he'd reached the end of his rope and he could no longer cope. So if, you feel, if you've ever felt this way, you're in good company. David was clearly in deep distress because he described himself as flooding his bed with tears every night and weeping over his couch by day. Um, we don't know the exact circumstances that David is facing, but it's likely most commentators think that he's facing physical sickness to the point of near death. And you and I know how much our emotional and mental well-being is tied up with our physical well-being. We are holistic beings, aren't we? Mind, soul, body, spirit. And so when one part of our body is affected, often another part of our body is affected. So when we suffer long-term physical sickness, for example, that can have a detrimental effect on our emotional health, can't it? For example, you, you put a very simple example. If, you go, if you're not getting enough sleep over a period of time, you're not going to be necessarily the best person to be around, shall we say. David said that his soul was in anguish or troubled. Literally, in the Hebrew, he means my soul is terrified. Maybe you've been terrified sometimes in life by what's happening to you or a loved one maybe you've been close to death maybe you've been terrified by horrendous circumstances by fears or by mental health issues well added to this David also felt that God's angry hand of judgment had fallen upon him this is how great was his suffering but he still prayed when he'd lost the ability to cope. Do you notice this? David doesn't stop 
um, reading the, the scriptures. He doesn't stop praying. If anything, he goes harder after God. Now, in applying this psalm, I appreciate some of you may resonate more closely with David here than others. For example, some of you have literally experienced the trauma of yourself or a loved one nearly dying or in fact of dying. Some have recently experienced the trauma of losing a loved one. It can be terrifying. But for others of us, this level of suffering is not our current situation. But there are principles here for how to pray in extreme suffering that we can all use. And that's what I want to look at today. This psalm teaches us three ways we can pray when we're overwhelmed by trials that test us sometimes, it seems, to breaking point. First of all, we need to discern how to pray for healing and deliverance. Oh Lord, heal me for my bones are in agony. My soul is in anguish. How long, O Lord, how long? David was suffering in every way. He was suffering physical illness and emotional and mental anguish. He'd reached the point of depression. He was weary. He was worn out. He was flooding his bed and his couch with his tears day and night. And there may be times in our lives as Christians when we reach this point. And you know what? That's okay. That's okay. David has blazed this trail before us, hasn't he? David has been depressed and at the end of his rope. And what did he do? He prayed. He cried out to God for deliverance. I uh, already mentioned this, but physical ailments can cause depression and despondency. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but C.H. Spurgeon, the great uh, preacher who I... Uh, you know, if I, have a, if, I, if I have one hero, it's probably, other than Jesus, you've got to say that, haven't you? It's probably C.H. Spurgeon. You know, he's the one character in history that, you know, I, I, I would, I, I'm greatly inspired by. But he suffered greatly with depression throughout his life. I don't know if you know much about Spurgeon, but he, he was overweight, quite frankly, and he suffered with gout in his feet. And that caused him a lot of depression. Um, and, but his depression was, um, got even worse uh, later in life. He was uh, preaching at Crystal Palace to tens of thousands of people. And there was a fire and many people lost their lives. And he, um, I'm not sure it was called PTSD back then, but looking back, um, sort of historians and biographers would say that he suffered the effects of post-traumatic stress disorder um, because there was a stampede and many people lost their lives in fleeing from that fire. And he never really recovered uh, from that. So great Christians, great heroes of the faith, including David, really wrestled with depression and despondency. So you're not alone if you're in that camp, okay? Um, Likewise, emotional trauma or pain can lead to physical ailments. For example, sometimes, sometimes, we need to be careful here in discerning and to see a doctor to get 
proper diagnosis. Sometimes pain in the body can be linked to stress, can't it? Sometimes, not always, sickness can be related to sin. For example, James links healing to forgiveness in James chapter 5, doesn't he? He says, forgive one another and you will be healed. In other words, healing in community of the church is to a large extent based on healing and forgiveness of relationships. If I don't forgive people and I allow myself to be overrun with bitterness and anger and unforgiveness, I will suffer spiritually, emotionally, and physically, right? It's just a fact. And I'll probably block healing in other people in the community too. So there is a link between sin and healing. Not always though. For example, Job was described as upright and blameless, and boy, did he suffer with sickness. He was tested beyond breaking point, it seems to me, but he didn't sin, or at least, he, he was described as, as morally upright and blameless. So we cannot always assume that there's sin behind sickness. We have to be discerning. This is why I use the phrase, we should discern how to pray for healing and deliverance. I'm choosing my words carefully here because pastorally, preachers have done so much damage. They're just being careless with these texts. You have to discern these things. There isn't a simple cause and effect. Now, David doesn't confess sin directly in this psalm, does he? He does in other psalms, the psalms of penitence, like Psalm 51, where, he, where that's a response to his sin with Bathsheba. So we can't assume that his physical sickness and depression were caused by his sin, right? He's already confessed his sin, probably. And the tone of the psalm leads to the conclusion that David is still feeling overwhelmed by suffering, having expressed and confessed his sin. You ever been there? Have you? Okay, just check in. If you've gone to sleep for a moment. He got to the point of desperation. The only appropriate prayer was to cry out to God, heal me, deliver me, turn to me. Hear me, Lord, help me. And that is an appropriate prayer. Sometimes we reach the end of our rope, quite frankly, don't we? We've had enough. We've had enough of the anguish and of the physical pain. And just like David, we can cry out to God to deliver us and heal us. But sometimes... God uses trials to test us so that we learn to trust and love him in a deeper way. But, but David still prayed for healing and deliverance. Lest we become those who just passively say, well, you know, I wonder what lesson the Lord is teaching me here. Well, that may be the case, but Jesus went around healing the sick. Hello? So there's a tension here we need to live with. It's in God's hands. It's in God's timing. But we should still cry out for healing and deliverance and leave the results and the timing in God's hands. Right? Let's not be passive 
in our approach to suffering and sickness and sin, right? David was discerning. David knew that sometimes God disciplines those he loves by allowing them to be tested by trials. God can do that, can't he? Well, his son, Solomon, seemed to think so. Proverbs 3, verse 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. If you really love your children, you will discipline them, won't you? Hello? So you're awake. I, mean, I, I always wonder if everybody's on their phones looking at the football or something. Is it? <laughs> those we love, we will discipline. We will correct them sometimes. We will say to them, do you know what? That wasn't good. And we see this loving discipline in the New Testament too. John 15 verses 1 to 2. Jesus, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. Um, I think we're, we're supposed to imagine a bush feeling the pain of being pruned here, aren't we? Right? We are hopeless gardeners, but even we can get roses to bloom by really inept, incompetent pruning. We just hack away, and you know what happens? The, the, the roses come back. It's a miracle. Uh, some of you are going, oh, no, I don't want to hear. Ah, some of you like, gardeners are like this. I don't want to hear this. Sorry. Uh, Bruce Milne, in his commentary on John, says this, quote, this is good, quote, in his pruning, God the Father uses hard circumstances and trials. None of these appear pleasant at the time, but painful. Pain produces spiritual growth. It is a commonplace, both of horticultural and of Christian experience, that the harder the pruning, the greater the fragrance and beauty, which will be later be released. Our Heavenly Father is hungry for fruit from his vine, and in order to produce it, will often in his pruning cut deeper than we, could have, we should have ever chosen, unquote. Is God releasing the beauty, the fragrance of his character, of his love, peace, joy, patience in you through the suffering that you're going through? Um, there, I love this church for all sorts of reasons. All sorts of reasons. But one of the greatest things about this church is those who suffer, who just become more like Jesus through their sufferings. How inspiring is that? You know, they don't, they don't go around moaning and grumbling and complaining and speaking against God. They just become more and more grateful for Jesus. I, I just go, wow, God is good. And I thank God for these people who are just humbly trusting in Jesus each day and becoming more like Jesus. I know they, I know you have your bad days. I know it's not all sweetness and light at home every day, but I'll tell you what, you aren't half witnessing to Jesus Christ. You aren't half inspiring people like me. You really are. Be encouraged, be strengthened because you inspire us as you joyfully Trust Jesus in and through your trials. You're inspiring us all. So keep on doing what you're doing. And Jesus uses trials to bear fruit in us, to grow fruit through pruning. Um, 
A young woman went to her mother and told her about how hard things were for her. She wanted to give up. She was at the end. She was tired of fighting and struggling. Seemed like God had it in for her. She wanted to give up. So her mother took her to the kitchen and brought three pots of, to, the, to boil on the stove. In the first pot, she placed carrots. In the second, she placed eggs. And in the last, she placed coffee. She let them simmer, and in 20 minutes, she turned off the burners. She scooped out the carrots and um, placed them in a bowl. She pulled out the eggs and placed them in another bowl. Then she poured the coffee into two cups. Turning to the daughter, she asked, what do you see? Carrots, eggs, and coffee, she replied. Feel the carrots, her mother said. They were soft and limp. Then her mother asked her to peel one of the eggs. The daughter tapped the egg on the counter and pulled off the shell, revealing a hard-boiled egg. Finally, her mother smiled and handed her a cup of coffee. Then the girl asked, what does this mean, mum? Each of these objects had faced the same adversity, boiling water. Each reacted differently. The carrot went in strong and hard. After 20 minutes in boiling water, it was limp. The egg had been fragile and delicate, but now it was hard. The coffee was different. The coffee released its fragrance and flavor in the water. Mother turned to her daughter. She said, which are you? When God brings trouble into your life, will you go limp like a carrot? Will you harden like an egg? Or will you be like the coffee and release the beauty, the fragrance, the flavor of Jesus? You see, David didn't ask to be spared from suffering and testing. He knew that sometimes God allows us to be tested and to be disciplined. What he did ask was to be spared from God's wrathful discipline, right? God's wrathful discipline is where he allows people who reject him to suffer the consequences of their rejection. If you reject God, you will suffer the consequences of rejecting God. You will feel that life has lost its meaning. You will have a restlessness in your soul. You will lose the certainty of the assurance of eternal life. You will feel guilty. You will wrestle with um, thoughts of condemnation. You will feel like you're not at home. I've got plenty of Christian, uh, sorry, plenty of non-Christian friends who describe exactly this. They describe themselves as conflicted, not at ease, always looking for, for happiness somewhere and never really finding it. And God's wrathful discipline is the sort of loving discipline that causes people to search after him who've rejected him. It's God's um, judgment on people's sin that they might search after him. But David hasn't rejected God. David is a believer. But his, his current experience is as if God is treating him like an unbeliever, right? He's experiencing wrathful discipline. This is why he cried out in verse 1. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Be merciful to me. In other words, Lord, discipline me as a loving, gracious, merciful father. Yeah? But he didn't end there. He didn't just end there. He prayed, feeling and discerning it was right to pray for healing and deliverance. So he prays in verse 2. Oh, Lord, heal me for my bones are in agony. Ever been there? Or turn, O Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. 
He knows that God is a God of covenant, steadfast, unfailing love. And so he cries out, Lord, save me, help me, deliver me. And anyway, what use is David in the grave? He can't praise God from there, can he? David's highest desire is to praise and witness to God. No one remembers you when he's dead. Who praises you from his grave, says David? Keep me alive so that I can keep on praising you, says David, right? So what do you do when you're in this sort of desperate situation like David? Well, we should be asking for discernment and wisdom and revelation. How to pray in the midst of sufferings and trials, right? We should pray for healing and deliverance. But if there is sin, we should confess it and receive forgiveness. If God is wanting to grow more fruit in us and develop patience, peace, love, joy in us, we should welcome that, but we can still pray for healing and deliverance, right? God can do both. We just leave the timing in his hands. Jesus faced breaking point in the Garden of Gethsemane. Did you know that? Jesus took his disciples to pray with him. Listen to Matthew's words. He took Peter and John and the two sons of Zebedee and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Now that word troubled is terrified. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. If you've ever been terrified, fearful of suffering, Jesus has been there and prayed that prayer with you, for you, and continues to pray for you. He identifies with you. He empathizes with you. He's been overwhelmed to the point of death himself. In Luke's gospel, we read that even though Jesus was not spared the cross, when he prayed this prayer, God sent an angel to strengthen Jesus. Even when we don't know how God is going to answer our prayer. But he answered Jesus' prayer. He didn't spare him from the, the suffering of the cross, but he sent an angel to strengthen him. So discern how to pray in the midst of suffering. Really important. Second. These are shorter points, you'll be pleased to know, for those thinking about the second half. We can keep on praying through tears. David says, I'm worn out from groaning all night long. I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. David doesn't hold back how he feels. He prays through the tears. Weeping day and night. Um... I've done this when I've lost loved ones. I've wept and I've found myself praying through the tears. Anybody else? God was, sorry, David was confident that God would hear and answer this, this prayer through the tears. Our part is to bring the tears and the pain to God. He can take it. Right? Do you believe that? Depression, frustration, physical and emotional pain cause tears. But David's prayer teaches us to pray 
through the tears. And we have even more reason to pray than David did because David hadn't got the model of Jesus, had he, at this stage? Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says about Jesus, the Son of God. This might surprise you. Hebrews 5, 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Jesus wept, prayed through the tears, the pain, the sorrow for you and for me. In order for him to be obedient to death on a cross, he suffered emotional as well as physical pain. Isn't it wonderful that the Holy Spirit takes our groans, moans, tears, sorrow, and turns it into a prayer? Isn't that amazing? It's like a parent can read their baby's uh, cries, knows what they need. God knows what we need when we cry to him. Romans 8, I love this. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes us for us with groans. Anybody ever been at the point where all you can do is groan? You don't have the words. Well, the Holy Spirit's praying through you with words that cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Even when you can only groan, the Holy Spirit turns that into a prayer to God and God answers. Isn't that wonderful? Third, last point, we can pray with confidence and faith that God will hear us and answer us. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. David believes and has confidence and faith that God will hear him and answer him. And that ultimately, God will give him the victory. We don't know what victory looked like for David in this prayer. We don't. Was he instantly healed of physical illness? We don't know. Was he instantly healed of depression? We don't know. But one thing that David was confident about was that God would deliver him from all his enemies. Verse 10, look at this. All my enemies will be ashamed and dismissed. They will turn back in sudden disgrace. When we pray in the midst of trouble and trials with tears, we don't know how God's going to answer in the short term. Sometimes he can heal us instantly, miraculously. But even if God doesn't heal us miraculously, he promises always to deliver us from Satan, right? Because Jesus won the victory at the cross and through the resurrection, Satan is a defeated foe. So when you cry out to God, whatever the outcome, Satan is defeated and has to flee. He has to get on his bike and leave. He's got no choice. God delights to deliver us, sometimes from trials, but more often I've found in and through the trial, God delivers us, right? In other words, he gives us the grace, the strength, the power to persevere with joy through the trial. That's why, miraculously, Christians in this church who suffer a lot 
still have a smile on their face, not because they're putting it on, but because they genuinely are strengthened supernaturally by the joy of the Spirit. Now, please don't hear me wrong. Tears are good, right? Tears are good. I'm not saying we should pin false smiles on. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that you can know the peace, the joy, the strength, the power of God in and through suffering because the Spirit is available to be pour out God's love into our hearts if we'll ask God. Romans 5, one of my fridge magnet texts. God pours out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit when we suffer and go through trials. The Holy Spirit strengthens us and comforts us and gives us the power we need to keep trusting joyfully in the Savior, right? So are you discerning the voice of God in your suffering and trials? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to grow fruit in you in and through your trials to become more like Jesus? Are you continuing to persevere in crying out for healing and deliverance as David did? Are you confessing sin where you need to in order to be healed, not just spiritually and emotionally, but also physically? I'll leave all these as questions for you to consider. Let's take a moment to ask the Spirit to just bring some discernment in our own lives, shall we? Let's uh, take a moment. So Holy Spirit, we're asking that you would help us to discern what we're going through personally in this moment of time. Holy Spirit, we all face trials of different degrees. And I pray now that in this quiet time, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts. Show us, Lord, if there's sin to confess. Show us, Lord, if you're growing more fruit in us through these trials. Show us, Lord, if you've if you're calling us to have faith to cry out for healing and deliverance. Holy Spirit, bring revelation and discernment to us now in Jesus' name. So let's take a moment to just wait on God in the quietness of our own hearts. Maybe some of you are really uh, in the midst of a, a tough trial and you need, you'd value some uh, prayer support just gathering around you. Well, I'd invite you to remain in here at the end of the service and uh, the prayer team are here and will be available to pray with you. So if you'd like prayer support for whatever you're going through, for whatever trial it is, um, whatever you've discerned God is saying to you, perhaps you, perhaps you are wanting healing and deliverance whether it's a spiritual issue or a physical healing, the Lord is here to bring healing and deliverance to save you. So seek that out. Come and uh, find somebody at the front here or just remain where you are and uh, 
the prayer team will be just moving around, just asking who wants prayer. So just be ready and willing to respond to what God is saying to you at the end of this service. Thank you, guys. Let's stand and sing together.
Jesus that you are our living hope. There's no other name in who we trust. You have given us the victory through your death and resurrection and ascension. Through your spirit, you give us the victory and enable us to walk in victory every day. So fill us, Holy Spirit, with your power, your joy, your peace, your healing grace. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So please uh, do stay for prayer in here if you'd like it. Um, next door is some cake to celebrate with, uh, with the sassy.